topics. Jackie Bam. Yo. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 16 of the Clam and Jackie Sweet Bam show. 16. Feeling good. Molly Ringwald vibes over Sweet here. 16 and never been fucked with a bandage around my eyes with a hole cut in it. <laughs> we'll save that yes. for later. So today you're joining us once again, Clam and Jackie Bam. We are on the lands which are unceded of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, paying respect to elders past and present. I've been thinking a lot about how lucky I am to finally get to this country. Uh, after two months of bed rest, I'm now enjoying the feeling of like coming home on a Saturday night and being like, fuck yeah, I just crossed the Birurung River eight times in one night. Whereas, you know, before it was like once a week. So thanks for the safe passage over that amazing flowing river which goes under our city and thanks for having me in your home clam my pleasure um i actually saw a small mouse uh traveling <laughs> across the tiles at the european today when i was doing my research do you think it's like, my balenciaga mouse <laughs> maybe it was really cute there was like these really these two hot fashionable girls sitting whining and dining next to me and we like shared a moment together because i was like oh my god a small rodent is like trying to jump in your Balenciaga bag and they were like haha I was like <laughs> it's kind of disturbing but nice um happy winter solstice month week day when was yeah, the actual week. day it was on Thursday night the 22nd mm. yeah 22nd happy my birthday week to me congrats um whining dining celebrating relaxing turned 26 on the 26th which is apparently meant to be fortuitous um happy asbestos menagerie announcement day the glastonbury of the (laughs) vca art scene um big show today talking about housing crisis talking about rising and the shadow spirit um dope show that we went and saw and also talking about lily rose depp and the weekend in everyone's fave show the idol yeah, the theme of this show is bad things, things <laughs> bad that are guys. bad, which your hosts will find a charming way to speak highly of, Okay, that's well, our specialty. Let's start with rising. Not all bad, not all good. So for those that don't know, rising is the festival that the state of Victoria slash city of Melbourne invented to replace this previous Melbourne Winter Arts Festival. Um, it's kind of like the dark mofo of Melbourne, I would say. Um, was it a success? Was it a flop? Was it somewhere in between? What was your experience, Babs? My experience was not looking at the program, waiting for people to tell me what to do. There came one Saturday recently when Cam was like, we simply have to go see this anti-communist children's choir sing. No, anti-capitalist. Anti- pro-communist. Sorry, anti-capitalist, pro-communist. <clears throat> What's the difference? And then I made my way into the city. I brought people along. I get a message from Cam and her nurse caregiver, Moish, <laughs> that Cam had been stricken with gastro. It's true. 
and could not make it. And so I did my usual thing of like sending out SOS messages to anyone in my address book being like, who wants to come attend this with me? I actually really did want to come and had really gassed myself up, speaking of it, to attend. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't think it would be good before seeing it, but I was like, this seems just like a spectacle of anti-capo shit that I like must get amongst and understand what they're going for here but then when you're feeling really sick the idea of being surrounded by like 360 cinematic vision of a, a children's choir with like Kate Blanchett reading Ayn Rand stuff is just really unappealing so I had to hand off the tickets to Babs did anyone take them yeah I, I got one one friend to come with who took it good Max oh nice yeah it was did good. they enjoy no we both walked in <laughs> and um At first I was just, I was impressed before I went into the actual thing because I could hear the children singing and I didn't, I hadn't looked into it so I didn't realize it was a video. So I just thought that like despite child labor laws, this artist had somehow got children to sing for 24 hours straight and I was thinking it was like some kind of, you know when the Olsen twins were in that show as kids and like Mm. would sub out, I was like they must just have hundreds of kids subbing out. But then you walk in and it's like six screens which are massive taking up a whole room. And there's like a few screens which have drummers on them, a few screens that have all these kids on them. And then another screen, which is like showing like a a live action movie kind of thing. And then like, honestly, dozens of people, it was fully packed. People who'd been in there for two hours already who were still sitting there. That's good. It is good. But within six minutes, I was like, I need to leave. And I had a friend who was a maybe to come and I texted them and was like, please don't come this is so you only stayed for six minutes no 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 we stayed for an hour did you feel solidarity by the end no with the other people in the room they all i felt great being reunited with a friend who was on the other side of the room because we finally got to be like what what just happened to us okay but i got to send you a fuck you message sorry (laughs) i was sick i was bedridden um i feel like rising is so divisive which makes me actually like it more because You know that person, Celeste, who is, like, really funny? Mm. She was posting. She was like, this show, she was like, this is amazing. Euphoria, which is called literally Euphoria. She was like, this is so fantastic. I'm so moved by this. It's like the people either fucking hate stuff or they love it. The NTS closing party, some people to me were like, that was the worst party I've ever been to. Other people were like, it was amazing. I had the best time. So, I don't know. Highs and lows. Yeah, maybe that's a good way to look at it I guess it's just like the whole program is like reeking of this like sort of anti-capitalist rhetoric but in this like extremely one percent kind of way like this Mm. was just such an intense spectacle it was like full-scale CGI tiger voiced by Kate Blanchett reading Marx yeah it's like when you go on the rising website it's like you've been in like a weird I feel like they want it to be confusing and like boomers are annoyed at that like people in the age are being like rising is a festival that is failing because it's not like I don't know getting the masses in or whatever I think it is and it's like really esoteric on purpose I just can't tell if I find that kind of endearing because I'm like oh my god the public servants are trying to be weird um, and making memes for their promo or I'm like oh this is annoying mostly annoying the the greatest exception to that across all of the reviews was a show that we went to see at the Flinders Street station called Shadow Spirit which was honestly amazing yeah so okay Babs and I were excited to go to this I was kind of nervous 
like, if I'm being honest, I was worried that it was going to be bad because my previous uh, info that I had received about Rising was not that great, apart from the gigs that I went to, which were awesome. But also, the Flinders Ballroom is, like, notorious for being hosted absolutely fucked exhibitions such as the infamous Roan one, which was basically, like, all this steampunk, like, typewriter shit in rooms with gigantic, like, sad women's faces painted on the background, um, which he made, like... A crazy amount of money, like $6 million from or something. He's like the richest artist in Melbourne. Yeah, the weird thing about this ballroom area is it's like part of the um, Flinders Street Station infrastructure, but it's not really clear who gets the money and who owns it. Like this show, it says, is curated by um, Kimberly Moulton, who's the senior curator of Southeastern Aboriginal Collections at Museum Victoria, she's like an amazing yorta yorta curator. Who also, is, yeah, famously, mm-hmm. she is a really good curator and a really interesting person. She also is a descendant of William Cooper, um, allied to your people. Don't say it too loudly. <laughs> he yeah. was the one that organized the Crystal Knocked rally. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. So you know, I know. But from from Crystal Knocked to rising in, in the ballroom, solidarity between marginalized people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, yeah. And I'm happy to attend Say the on word the Yorta Yorta once in Victoria without hearing some random Jew take credit for how amazing that connection is for their people. It goes way back. It goes anyway. way back. Wait, so not only was it curated by Kimberly, but that it's, according to the website, presented by Metro Trains Melbourne. And I love that in a city which has so many like public transport infrastructure problems, it literally governs every single election metro trains comes out as this like cultural hero as a side note have you seen the um images of the new train lines underneath we have like a very chic m for metro Mm-mm. they honestly make me feel like excited to be in a cosmopolitan city because it's kind of like the experience i got from looking at the photos of the new underground trains was like you know when you go to like a big euro city and you're like oh my god like the Gare du nord like um or like monopoly train stations it's like that. There's going to be this whole new network of dope trains. The only European train station I've been to was at the entrance of Auschwitz-Birkenau, so don't really have those mm. kind of warm, fuzzy feelings <laughs> like you do. Um, the Flinders Ballroom will set you free. <laughs> anyway, the, we, went to the, we went down past the entrance to Flinders Outside the Boost Juice, outside the black and white photo booth, which we did partake in, um, lined up, hugely popular outside. I couldn't tell if the line was for Boost Juice or for the thing. It was not for Boost Juice. It was for Rising. We lined up. We took our seat. We went upstairs. Um, They, like, weirdly told us that we weren't allowed to walk up the stairs yet to get the lift up. I was, Yeah, I didn't know what I thought it was going to look like. I think, I guess, just, like, a crusty old rooms in Yeldi train station, which is exactly what it was. Um... There is probably how many artists? Maybe fifteen or sixteen. No, the website says thirty because there right. were a few, a couple of collectives involved, and then like a few people. Most of them were video and animation works taking up like office room spaces. So they all had teams involved. They were each one had like a leading artist, but then there was like an animator or a videographer or a sound person. There was obviously a lot of effort that went into making it actually. Um, yeah, like all-encompassing. It was really impressive. Yeah. I mean, I don't even feel like I have like anything funny or like witty to say. I'm just like really good artwork. 
um, great vibes. Each room was like very different, but equally well produced. I feel like when you go see mega kind of blockbustery group shows, there can often be works that just seem like phoned in or like kind of pointlessly showy, but none of them felt pointlessly showy. Like they all felt like they were really genuine kind of expressions of indigenous knowledge and people that were really felt like there was a trusting relationship between the curator and the artist to create this like immersive show. Yeah. And the audience as well. Like the first few we walked through, I was reflecting to myself, especially after there's one, it's like this, maybe the second or third one after you walk in is, um, a Torres Strait Islander story of a warrior in a boat who drinks, I think his his companions in the boat drink all of his water mm. and then he kind of like slaughters them and it's like this full um, projection onto the floor, onto the walls. And I was thinking to myself, it's so generous for these artists to be bringing like cultural story to an audience who they don't know and who they can't guarantee will understand or know how to engage with it. But I, yeah, and you know, I carried this um, dilemma with me all week and I'm- Did you feel like you had the true engagement? (laughs) No, no, no. I was really like, I I feel like I, I tried to just engage with it on whatever level I could in the moment and to like listen, but I definitely knew that there's like a natural limit to what I can understand because of who I am and because of like language barriers as well. Um, But I'm I'm back in the swing of things with my movement from like going through my Gentile life and being like, what does it mean? And then coming to some Jewish knowledge and being like, yes. That's what it means. Um, (laughs) I really liked like when we we went with our friend, um, we were with Ruby and our friend Audrey. Audrey was saying that, um, they really loved the like fandom element of the show because there was these two works that were quite close together. One by Warwick Thornton that was like all these um, healers, like yeah, were they like cultural healers, like cultural healers um, from this First Nations community that were pretending also to be Jedi's and like standing on these screens with like powerful Jedi like magical implements in their hands. And then opposite that, there was a room with this artist um, whose name is. Was that one? That was Tiger oh, Yaltangi yeah. um, with Jeremy Whiskey and they were like obsessed with ACDC and had made all these guitar paintings about ACDC and like ACDC fandom and it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. It was just cool. It was just like genuine enthousi- the enthusiasm of fandom. Yeah. Also Wait, love the, ACDC. The, the exhibition text says like a cavernous gymnasium hosts water spirits existing on country and on ancestral plains abstracted desert worlds speak to old wisdom still in practice works illuminate protective guardians that warn and cause mischief some sing some whisper some rock and roll and for cam and i who come from the big west coast it bon really, got territory <laughs> it really took me back to being at like i went to the the derby derby the west coast first uh frio match earlier this year and every time west coast get a goal they play like yeah yeah they play acdc dude i have the funniest memories from my childhood of like my dad playing us back to black which is the acdc's one of their like major albums and like i didn't know amy winehouse was no is it no is that no that's back in black one it's of, called Back a, There. They have the same name. Do they're, they? It's like a, they're references. Yeah, I reckon, one of the greatest album names of all time. Anyway, <laughs> there's this one song that's like about people sitting around playing card games. And he, my dad, this is just like, 
I don't know, I don't know, interpret this how you will. He's like, listen, kids, like I've got to tell you a story about the the story behind this song. It's like you're learning the Torah, I'm learning like deep ACDC law. Yeah, but it's all like important. It's, all stories, it's who you man. are. Yeah, well, listen to this one. Yeah, you hear the song, you think it's about Bon Scott or whoever's singing it. He's saying. He's got the jack. It's people playing cards. They're sitting around in a circle. They're like, he's got the jack. But you know what he actually has, which my dad's like, listen, kids, this is what he actually has. What does he got? He's got the clap. He's got a sexually transmitted oh. disease. <laughs> and so it's like, think about it. Everything you hear might have a secret. Separate meeting. <laughs> well, okay. This is the thing that I learned on Sunday night. East Melbourne Shul, David Solomon, world leader in Kabbalah and Jewish yeah. knowledge. Anyway. So we, we've done three weeks, we've read the Talmud, we've read the Torah, we've read um, mm-hmm. Midrash, and then suddenly we get to the fourth one and we're reading the Zohar, which is like the Kabbalah, it's Jewish mysticism. And we get to the stage, we're reading it, and it, and it's a reference to this rabbi who says, woe is he who thinks that the Torah is just stories. And then this is like honestly one of the best <laughs> moments in my life. It's like it's not just stories, there's this hidden mysticism within it the words are the garments and the soul is the body. Oh, and my God. My God, fashion <laughs> is everything. Dude, they've been thinking about, like, blazers since, like, forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. But <laughs> They it, know. <laughs> it helped me appreciate that, like, there's always levels of knowledge that different people can engage in. And even if you're sharing amazing cultural knowledge, you know that you can like hide things in it and let people in and exclude people from other things. So it, it made me feel like, ooh, I can I can take some things from this and not take other things. Especially the reason I really wanted to go to the show in the first place. I haven't made work since the evil rash came into my life because my greatest um, cultural production is shedding my skin everywhere. Um, I, I'm For ma- the listeners at home, <laughs> it's looking much improved. Thanks, thanks. Um, but I am making a work with a shadow. And nice. so far it's involved like going to Bunnings, buying those LED lights that you can cut up and obviously cutting something out with cardboard. But that's as far as I got. I was like, where can you go? With a shadow. And then I heard about the show and I'm like, fuck yeah, here we go. Well, the ballroom's probably empty in a few months. So, you know, this could be your chance. Can I tell you my final fun fact from the show? Yes, but then let's move on. Then you let's know, we've move spent on. too much time on we've Rising We've spent Rage. some time. So Cam's favourite works were those ones. I love this sh- shadow work by Julie Goff, who's um, a triple way artist who did this epic work with these shadows projected on the wall, um, referencing a historic... Um, like treaty writing process in Tasmania. Um, and then um, the that so that gave me some knowledge there. But then the the really fun one that I'm having fun with that I wanted to put in an ad, but I couldn't do it. So if anyone has an idea, let me know. Haley Miller Baker, who's um, a Gundajamara Jaburang artist, made a work called Umbra. Mm. And I was like, what is Umbra? That one was cool. And then I looked, it, it was cool. It was a film noir. I think we saw a movie by her at the NGV recently, a horror one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The movie was like set in a Robin Boyd house and it was by, about these young women like haunted by ghosts. Or by each other. Yeah, they were like, it was like some astral travel kind of stuff. Anyway, I looked up Umbra. Turns out Umbra is the darkest part of a shadow. And then I learned that the per 
Nabra, Penumbra mm-hmm. is the lighter part of the shadow. Wow. And I, w- I was thinking about staging a fake wrestling competition between the Umbra and the Nambra, <laughs> but I, could, I, I couldn't get Nambra. it together. Yeah, Nambra. Well, I you know there was wrestling at Rising that I also planned to really? go to, but missed at night trade. Yeah. What kind of wrestling? I don't know, just some like some envies from Monash really like going ham. It looked fun. Why is it always... Because it's yeah. the art school, like they all get to hang out and vibe there. Yeah. It's like where you go when you finish art school is the rising pipeline. Right. Did you know, final thing to say, did you know that 72% of the audience last year was women? What does that mean? What do you think about that? Why do chicks love rising so much? (laughs) (laughs) 1.83 was non-binary. Well, if gender is a performance and you're going to sit in an audience and be upset at how shit something is, I guess it sounds like something a woman would want to do, right? I'm just saying, give us the MCG next year. (laughs) You may be hearing rumours that the AFLW season's about to be extended by a few weeks, just in case this doesn't work out. We here at Bunnings wanted to let you know you've got nothing to worry about. It doesn't matter how short or long the season is, when these low-paid athletes need to make a bit of extra money to pay their rising rent, Bunnings is here. We will keep these female athletes going, week in and week out, on season and off. Lowest prices, low wages and shorter seasons for women? Bunnings, it's just the beginning. Okay. Baby, it's hard to see. <laughs> I'm a freak, yeah! Babs is eating chocolate so they can't join me. Okay, so we have been tuning into the idol. I've been tuning in so fucking hard. Um, okay, so let's get started. The Idol is a new show that's on HBO. New but soon to be old because it only has one more episode. The weeks have flown two by. Two episodes. I no, looked it up. Are you sure it's two? Yep. Dude, it's, it's five not. seasons. It's two. One more. Really? It was meant to be okay, six. Okay, we just it, found out from our okay, producer so one episode got cut. It was meant to be six and now it's five, which really says a lot about the show. It's been racked with controversy since inception. It's been plagued by bad press, followed by drama. It's a show about a troubled pop star and a supposedly charismatic cult leader that um, manipulates his way into her orbit. It touches on themes of fame, manipulation, sex autoerotic asphyxiation, ice cubes. Um, <laughs> and w- you want to explain, like, why has it been so controversial? Uh, actually, well, let's just, like, something summarize. I've experienced in the last few weeks is that Cam is intent on the objective argument that this is a bad show. Well, it's, it's, you've been really Why animated. is it objective? You've presented to me like it's objective. Like, I had a Shabbat dinner last week and I was like, and at the table... Cam and Moish were like, this is a bad show. And the six other people, they were like, oh, actually, I'm loving it. And Cam was like, no, you are wrong. No, I think it's like so bad. It's good. Like, I don't know. It is. I think it's objectively bad. I actually do believe that. I love watching it and I love it. But I think it is like objectively not well constructed. I think The weekend's acting is so fucking bad in it. Lily Rose Depp is like amazing in it because she has a whole like meta narrative around her. But even she is like a wet, anemic mop. Anyway, so the show follows Lily Rose Depp, who is the pop star, and The weekend Abel Tesfaye plays her 
plays a cult. She plays a. He plays like a prince-like, seedy, supposedly nefarious cult leader that she meets in an LA nightclub where she's having a low point in her career. He inserts himself into her life and moves into her mansion, and it's all about how her career is going when it's tanking and like the process of her trying to write amazing pop music, and kind of like I looking at the title of it. And this line that they keep kind of infusing in throughout it, it's it's meant to be a critique of like the idol status of celebrities and this kind of like, uh, I guess, commodification of human beings. They keep on repeating this line throughout it, which is like, oh, babe, you're only a human after all. And she says eventually in the most recent episode, she's like, why is everyone saying that to me? Like, I'm not human. Ha ha. Because it got to this point where I was like, okay, everyone is critiquing it for all these other reasons. What if we tried to listen to it at face value? Like, what is it? Yeah. And its terms are that stars are human. And if if we run with that, if we roll with it. (laughs) I'm rolling with it. Okay. Basically, Lily Rose Depp's character, also Lily Rose Depp, for those of you who have not been following her since she was like the hottest 16-year-old I've ever seen on Tumblr. Um, I'm very excited to be able to see her from more angles than just her selfie angles. She definitely looks best from her selfie angles. Do you reckon she has a really big brain underneath that forehead? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a big forehead, so she must. <laughs> I reckon. That girl's mega mind. Um. So essentially the... People are really upset <laughs> because in in the show. I just thought of that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some casual misogyny on the other side of the couch. She is beautiful. Don't get me started on okay. Abel. Dude. No. Um. Okay. So here's the deal. Lily Rose Depp gets into this relationship with this guy. Okay. Speaking of celebrity delusions, the whole thing is that The weekend reckons he's really sexy because he made a lot of money. But like he's actually not that hot. The thing that the masses are freaking out about is that. Lily Rose Depp's character gets into this really submissive position in this complex, abusive dynamic with this dude. And the main thing I'm hearing on the streets is this is so unbelievable. This makes no sense. He is not hot. How could she be with someone not hot? And how could she want to be like made so submissive? And my response. Do you think it's the, how could you, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, response first. No, no, no. I went, come Oh no! <laughs> oh, I have like so. I've tried watching this dude. It's hard. Um, no, well, to be fair, I wa- when I watched the first episode, I actually did go from people are like, "This is pornography." I went from watching real porn to watching this. Yeah, and way this less actually satisfying. was better than the real really? porn. But then last night, instead, I did. Um, I I what I did Wim Hof. The Wim Hof <laughs> method where you where you breathe over and over, like next to a person I love. And then I also watch the show next to this person. And if you want to know which one gets the blood rushing more, it it's is your Wim Hof. Okay, because the main controversy, the controversy in the like media discourse was like, oh, it's fucked up that she's submissive, right? It's bad because it's like, Famously, the weekend um, after the show had been shot, eighty percent done. They were he was like, "No, we're scrapping this. We need to get the Euphoria guy in and restart the whole entire thing because um, it had gotten too much focused on the quote female experience unquote." Mm-hmm. Um, and people were like, "This is fucked up. Like she's being exploited. She's being abused." I don't really think that's the problem with the show, but the problem that you are hearing on the streets, which is that it's unbelievable because he's so unerotic. That to me is the key issue here. Like, do you find him sexy? Because I find him 
hilariously bad to watch. I think the reality is, which might not be apparent to everybody, but when you've seen and been part of as many abusive relationships as I have, it doesn't matter what people look like. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter if you're Lily Rose Depp. If you want to be completely like the Britney Spears song from just before 2007, Slave For You, if you just want to give into someone and not be, yeah, not make any of your own decisions, be a part of a two-way dynamic as well. I feel like people are really underestimating how abusive relationships are always a two-way dynamic minimum. I think it's like extremely believable that as someone who's been controlled since they were 11, one of the big plot lines of the show is that she had this abusive mum who controlled her whole life. I think it makes heaps of sense that someone like that would just be like, I want to be in this. No, I like totally agree. And when I, ref- when I think back at the show from afar, I'm like, yeah, that is the vibe. And like the narrative when you say it like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But in the actual moment when you're watching it, I feel like you have to be able to buy in like, Sure, someone can be drawn like a moth through a flame to this abuser who's going to dominate them and give them this feeling of safety that comes from submission. But when he is looking at her and he's like, yo, angel, show me that tight little (laughs) pussy. I'm like, I'm sorry, girl. Like you can see Lily Rose Depp's eyes like quivering, being like, I've made this choice and I'm here now. And my tits have been taped up to my eyeballs and I've got to go ahead with it. I'm like, I can't believe it. And now like shame, I feel bad for the nebbish weekend because now he has to do all the press junkets where he's like, yo, he's meant to seem like a creepy guy. (laughs) It's like, dude, I'm sorry. You can't act. But he's written some bangers for the soundtrack. Yeah, that's actually the funny thing is every episode that comes out has music by The Weeknd and Lily Rose Depp. And then you go on Spotify and you give them all this streaming money. Like it really is like a full circle kind of cultural production thing where they're going to make money out of us at all ends. What do you think of um, Troy in it? Because... That hottie of Nam, um, the most famous twink of the inner north, Troy Savant, stars in it as um, Jocelyn Lily Rose Depp's, like he's <laughs> he's her best friend who was also abused by um, the mum who thought he had like powerful talent that would take over the world and overshadow Jocelyn. So he was also abused and dominated. What do you make of his role? I think it's extremely telling and manipulative <laughs> that you would ask me that question, Cam. As someone that loves interior design. <laughs> I, okay. I grew up in Perth in, in an age where 70% of my Jewish primary school were South African. And yeah, I went to school with Troy Sivan and, and his whole family. And because of that, you will never in your entire life hear me bagging out that nice Jewish boy from Perth, okay? He comes from such a nice family. I simply won't. How did you feel when he was choking on the floor? Okay, do you want some actual Troy gossip? Yes. I can give you some gossip. Okay, the year is probably 2006 or something. Did he always have talent? Yeah, he killed it at the 
at the same talent show where I got up and sung I Just Can't Wait to Be King, yeah. he sang too. <laughs> what did he sing? <laughs> he came out as king. I don't know. But no, no, no. I don't know. Here is the only piece of juice I will give you. Okay, <laughs> this other is all idol. I will say publicly on Perth this idol. nice person who is more yes, than I'm a proud commodity. <laughs> when I see him in the corner on the table, I'm like, you're doing it for us. <laughs> and Rachel Sennett. I'm yeah, so identified. She's, she's love done her. well. That's the love point. Rachel. She's in it though to make us love her. Anyway, let me tell the story. It's 2006. I am a Jewish summer camp. No, it's not. It's some random year. Anyway, I'm in I'm in, <laughs> I'm in it's 2007. Britney I'm Spears <laughs> is being hounded by paparazzi. And, and a little known star <laughs> and choice of on. Anyway, I'm a I'm at Jewish summer camp it, and we're doing we're doing we're doing this big learning program which uses experiential games as metaphors to teach moral lessons in the rubric of socialism okay so we're doing we're doing baby it's hard to see we're doing this nighttime program right where we are essentially kids in the holocaust all the lights are off we are outside and we're being told you the nazis are here you need to escape did they really play these games with you every year there was a holocaust thing it was awesome anyway at this point in time i was like fuck i really need to pee but this was the point in my life when i was addicted to competition and winning and i was like there's just no way I'm dropping out of this to go to the bathroom, which is like ages away. So anyway, complete the Holocaust, win, <laughs> and then like sprint back to the dorms. And I am busting for the toilet and someone in my dorm is like, oh yeah, I'll come to the bathroom with you. Just like give me a second. And this like 10-year-old is like moving all their shit around, taking all the time they need. And then bang, I don't know where I just piss my pants okay just piss them piss everywhere Um, (laughs) and I have to use the win the holocaust (laughs) with some games you just (laughs) still an L (laughs) Um, so I had to use the only towel I'd brought with me to mop my piss up from the floor and did you hide it from them so this is how it goes I put my towel into my uh Maccabi the Jewish soccer club's um like sports bag that I brought with me and I left it in there for the next, like we were going home the next day. You always do these like crazy Holocaust maneuvers the night before you're going home to your parents. (laughs) Yeah. So the next day, all of the bags get loaded onto the bus. Everyone takes their bags off. I go home, I unload my Maccabi soccer bag and inside is all this stuff that just straight up doesn't belong to me. And I'm like, fuck, like if I have this, who has my soccer bag? (laughs) And then we read the label on the bag and it actually belongs to Tide, Troy's little brother, who's now... At least it wasn't Troy. So anyway, then I have to go to their house and be like, a possum peed on my bag. I'm so sorry. It smells. Can I have it back, please? Yeah, yeah. What was I going to say? That the Holocaust made me pee. Oh, my God. That's bad. Did they say anything? No, they're lovely people, as I Why said. Why would they? Um, that reminds me of one time where I actually, when I was like 14, came back from a party where I was staying at my very glamorous South African Perth friend's house and pissed myself on her carpet and had to clean it up with my Peter Alexander pyjamas. Wow. And I then put them in my bag and didn't tell anyone either, but luckily I just took it straight home. See? Put it straight in the wash. So these things happen. Did they follow up? No, I, actually, <laughs> the mom came in and was like, it smells really weird in here. I was like, really? 
that's so weird. <laughs> I was like, maybe you're like pug pissed on the floor. <laughs> I was like, don't worry about last night. She's like, you guys were so fucking disgusting. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, what do you think? Also, the final thing to say on the idol. Well, there's many more things to there's say a on few it. Things, yeah. Um, Lily Rose Depp's newly announced, or she's been a queer girl for a while, but she very prominently came out with her new hot rapper girlfriend a few weeks ago. What did you read on about it? What did you think? When so, you saw the pics, so what was your initial reaction? So came out of Lily Rose Depp on the street and her really hot girlfriend has her pants, her hands in her pants at the back. What's and her I, name? <laughs> Triple O Shake. Yeah. Shake O Seven. Shake O Seven or something? I don't know. People Shake like her. She's zero, really, seven, no. she's really she's hot. She's really, really, really hot. Um, Undeniably so. And as Lily said, love of her life. Really? Yes. I was just like, wow, these people are really hot. This is amazing. And my boyfriend was like, I'm really sorry that you're not a part of it. Um, you, <laughs> you thought it was fake. No, I don't think it's fake, but I do think it's a massive psyop. Like, I'm sorry, the week that there's headline after headline being like, the, the idol is a car crash. This is so embarrassing. The Weeknd and Lily Rose Depp are playing their own publicity games. That's why the show has like this meta truth to it because it's all about people that are like nominally upset about being chewed up and spat up out by the industry and they're like, there's all this fake people in the industry but we just want to make art. But those people themselves are obsessed with the machinations of the industry and mm. now you see them after the show is being released crawling and using every trick that they've got in the book to spin the story to make themselves come out as the victor. Um, Lily Rose Depp coincidentally is putting her hand down her girlfriend's no, the boxer girlfriend, shorts the girlfriend on the day of the bad press. On her ass in public. Lily Rose Depp has done this before. There's these photos of her on a yacht like and topping <laughs> Timothy Chalamet, imagine, other famous lesbian. Imagine like your coping mechanisms. Like every time something <laughs> bad happens, you just like find the nearest anorexic person, take them to the street and like tongue them in the face. Honestly. Such a good tactic. Why haven't we done that? Because I'm too busy like <laughs> responding with a full body rash. <laughs> if you had to call the paps on us, who would you call? <laughs> um, who would I call? Honestly, I Guy Rundle. I would yes. love for Crikey to come up just and just be like, "Tungus Guy Rundle on the street." Anyway, so, wait. I just feel like it's like look at the photo of them like posing on the pole, and then people are in my feed sharing it. Oh my god, love you, Lily. I'm like, it worked. See, she got them. They all get. No everyone. one's saying, "Oh my god." Why were you lying on the couch, like, looking so depressed? Lily's performance in the show, to me, really comes out when she's, like, at the dinner table when um, she's, you know, Troy's, like, if you want to be a truly nasty, dirty, bad pop star, you should release the shot with the cum in your face. And then she has to look at The weekend and, like, get, like, fake angry at him. But she is actually angry at him because she hates him <laughs> and finds him repulsive. All the scenes where she's, like, actually... T- playing with him and like testing the boundaries I'm like I buy this the scenes where she's like suddenly overcome by her submission to him I'm like this is so fucking fake man I don't know 
Don't you think? I just think like most TV is bad. Like it's meant to, it's like the, whatever, the religion of the masses of today. Like I, in the same, in the, in the, the same. idol is the opiate of the masses. And it is. In the, no, it's like Noam Chomsky kind of shit. It's literally population control. And in the same week I watched the show, I watched Queer Love Ultimatum, which got one of my friends into therapy for the first time. Really? And I watched, um, some other bullshit. Oh, like these like Korean American spin-offs on Netflix, Kitty XO and to all the boys I ever loved. How do you think the acting was in those ones? Like terrible. Yeah, we shouldn't expect these things to be like fantastic just because Euphoria was good. Yeah, I guess so. It's I just, just think it's that, like, just shit to pass like the time and the- make you not get upset about how expensive your rent is. Hi, Angel. Hi, Angel. Okay. One time, <laughs> no, okay. one time I had a non-binary girlfriend who called everyone fucking Angel. Angel. We talk, okay? Did we literally talk about this last the time? The same person. You're obsessed no. with talking about this. I speak about this with you all the time. <laughs> it, was a, it was a different, it was a different one, a different, a different one. A- anecdote last time. This time is this person called me Angel all the time and it was really sweet and I couldn't get myself to do it. And in the same way as the weekend stands in the mirror and it's like, Hi, practicing angel. hi angel hi angel i remember being like you can do it just call them angel it's fine it's completely natural they're they're an angel <laughs> what do you think about the fact that he is like a, to- a tommy wiseau that's like a prince wannabe yeah okay it, explain explain i like he's giving more. me the room vibes yeah like this is your I best don't know take. if people have seen the room no i came up with another one that is like maybe a bit too um, boot like Zuma psychoanalysis I'll, I'll pose it to you and see what you think my like low grade take is that it's like I love watching the show because to me it's like watching The Room where which is this like completely gonzo produced actor directed soundtracked by Tommy Wiseau um who plays like an actor being like he's just a really fucking bad actor and there's all these iconic scenes where he's like hi doggy to dogs in the street of San Francisco and when people have live screenings of The Room there's like all these lists of things that you do while the while it's you're like watching bingo, it. Yeah. have you been to it uh not yeah i've I've actually You'd, yeah you would know if you no been. i know what it's like i've seen it once and i was like when the fuck did i watch that people yell things out at specified times yeah like there's like there's like heaps of infamous shots where it like constantly does panning shots of the um golden gate bridge in san francisco and every time it comes on screen you're like go 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like participatory and fun do you and know like, the lines have you gone and like participated yeah, like there's so many where he's like, um, I don't know, like I couldn't bring them off the top of my head. Anyway, The weekend gives me a similar vibe where it's like I want to come up with games where it's like every time he like fingers Lily Rose Depp, you have to like do a shot or something. I don't know. There's potential there. What about this read of it though? Okay. okay. I kind of think as I was watching it, I was like in the most basic way, they're clearly riffing on this like female gaze, male gaze thing, like the John Berger thing, like men look at women, women watch themselves being looked at. Jocelyn is a star who's constantly seeing herself in the eyes of others and has, if you buy into the show, like harness that as a point of pop power and self-knowledge such that she can become this like machine of art, but she's tortured by it. I kind of feel like the read is like Lily Rose Depp isn't attracted to the weekend and that is an integral part of it because she's like attracted to herself. She's obsessed with looking at herself and all of it is about her like performing this sexy girl and being really alienated from herself and her own body. She loves imagining herself being watched by him, being watched by the viewer, being an Instagram baddie. Mm. It shows that level of Zuma IG pathology the, in the best way possible. Mm. Even when she's like wearing a mask? 
Yes, because then she's liberated from having to like pretend that she's not imagining herself or something. I don't know. She can stop even thinking about having to look outwards and just imagine him looking at her. Mm. That's what it's all about. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I but <laughs> I think it's true. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, I can't wait for the final app. Oh, final thing. What's your prediction? I reckon that she's going to make one of the most amazing fucked up pop albums of all time, which I will not believe, but I'll still enjoy. I think there's been a little bit of foreshadowing about some kind of murder and this the guy's like weird cult includes this skinhead with a gun who's the only member of his little Michael Jackson party who hasn't sung yet. So I think that guy is, there's going to be some kind of like shoot out cyanide situation. You reckon Jaime will shoot him? Who would die? Yeah, they though? brought Apu from The Simpsons onto the show, by the way, and like got him pre- to pretend to be Israeli. That's the most obscene part ever. It's like cancel Apu, bring back Jaime. Um, anyway, we we actually spoke to um, a a, um, and a Britney, Britney Law F- expert and a Rattel apologist. Uh, a friend who is obsessed with Britney Spears and has said that this story actually matches up perfectly to a lot of the law around Britney Spears in the lead up to 2007 when she dated some gross paparazzi guy and people just like couldn't believe it was real. And this immediately led to her, her conservatorship. Her family like sued him and got a restraining order against him. And then they put her in the conservatorship and, and it was all over. And then he constantly kept, he kept calling the paps on himself and had this like desperate thirst to be famous. Which is in which the is show what as Tedros, well. Tedros does. Um, and then <laughs> she, yeah. And then she made the best album she's ever made in 2007. Um, yeah, so- because that's the narrative. It's like, you have fucked up experiences that the world can't understand, but if you're a true artist, you can turn it into something great. And I want to not believe that in the world of the show, and yet I keep playing I'm a freak world-class sinner over and over again. But that's the one that she's giving up to Jenny from Blackpink. Instead, we've got these I'm a void ones where she's like... The thing with like asking her to do whatever, it doesn't make any sense because they bring... Kanye's producer Mike Dean in and he just like rips bongs the whole time he is actually to if you want to relate to this as some kind of like high art like amazing theater kind of vibe his character is the best character on the show what? in in Greek it, um, yo we bring in Mike Dean in. In, in Greek tragedies and Greek theaters they always had these mischievous extra characters either in the chorus or as blow-ins if you actually- would kind of tune you into what you were meant to be feeling and in some of the most fucked up scenes in the last two episodes Mike Dean is there in the background and they go to him and he kind of tells you what you're meant to feel like when um what's when the weekend is like fingering Lily to get her to sing the word yeah better Mike Dean is there like laughing and it means you're meant to laugh at that moment and when when the weekend is trying to bash up Lily's ex-boyfriend Mike Dean is laughing and playing like funny piano music and i i actually love him as like a reprieve so Especially shout out because he's like Dean. a real character that's why i love rachel Sennett's character too because i'm like really i love her i love her and she have a baby like one of yeah. i would say that's in my top i'm gonna say top five movies i fucking love that movie wow. and she is like the whole time my engagement with her is like i reckon she's also like holding on for dear life she's like this is a great opportunity but also like i've been forced into looking fuggly she looks ugly in the show and is forced to look like 
a like chubby little bad eye makeup girl with a sad eye makeup line with Lily Rose Depp. It's like she's given nothing, but she's constantly looking around and you can kind of see the two layers of panic in her eye. There's like the one layer where it's like in the world of the show, she's like, I think he's a fucked up guy. But then there's the real layer where she's like, is this completely mashed, this entire thing? And I think it's both. Mm. Yeah, it is both. Okay, final line. If give me we, more. For, give me, give me, give me more. For those of you that want to do the Britney Spears thing, I just want you to all go back in time and re-watch Chris Crocker's video from 2007 known as, um, what was it, like Save Britney or Keep, Brit- Keep Britney oh, Alive? Oh, yes. Yeah. This is kind of a moment that... Um, Save Lily. <laughs> a moment that uh, someone else on the internet called the beginning of the singularity. In 2007, Britney happened. The iPhone was invented kind of from that point on in time everything was about like the inner celebrity and social media chris crocker puts out this video to be like hey guys just you know britney's not okay we need to save her and his best line at the end is all you people care about is making money off of her she's a human (laughs) and that's really what the show wants you to be like these these people that you call idols, they are really just human beings. Lily Rose Depp is And much barely like in Rabbi human. Nachman's story of the master of prayer. <laughs> nah, I won't, I won't go there. I won't go there. I donated blood because I knew that my donation could make a difference in many different people's lives. The more you do it, the easier it gets and you feel strong after. You feel like you did something great. This impact is just so lasting. It's not something that's going to go away. It's not something that's going to disappear. Well, I've been donating blood since I was in high school, so I always knew that it was possible to help somebody out. Join us for the Red Cross's 2023 Blood Drive Appeal. This year's appeal is dedicated to the victims of the 2017 Burke Street Massacre. Eligible donors are invited to line up on Burke Street July 30 to be run over collectively by the number 16 tram. With your help, this blood drive can beat last year's record and bring new hope to those who are suffering. The 2023 Red Cross Blood Drive. Join in. So now we time's ticking, but we've got to address that rental crisis. Um, so. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> the housing market is experiencing a lot of stress right now. End of story. <laughs> Much like Lily Rose Depp. <laughs> when I see the housing market, I'm like, you need to be dominated. <laughs> the housing market needs a hairbrush taken to its ass immediately. Speaking of complex, abusive dynamics, <laughs> me and my landlord. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay, so, (laughs) all right, what's the summary? There's been a lot of drama in the news recently because uh, basically rents are going up, there's not enough apartments, there's not enough houses, no one can get a house, people can be struggling to pay rent, people are in rental stress. Our barely left-wing government, Labor government, is trying to do something about it in the Housing Affordability Future Fund, the half, half, um, but they're in a dramatic and protracted conflict with the Greens party led by Max Chandler Mathers, who says that it's really useless and they need to do much more. Correct? Correct. Add more. Nice. Okay. Honestly, why do I even do the idle stuff? Get me on ABC. So the deal with the rental crisis is that Australia has this chronic um, supply issue with housing. That's what they want you to think. No, though. no, it's a constructed issue. So supply of housing in Australia uh, is 
like more than any country in the world apparently. I was looking at the stats based on speculation because of the way that we deal with um, like incentives for investment. So things like negative gearing or the way that um, there's a lot of a lot of people like to put this red herring up to say that local councils don't approve enough properties for development and that's why there aren't enough houses. But in reality, I think councils reject 4% of planning proposals and the majority go through. What Australia actually has an issue with is in um, how many houses actually come to fruition because property developers will get approvals and then they'll just sit on empty land for up to like 15 years. That's part of it, but also people will then build the apartments and then investors will buy them and they won't rent them out at all or they will um, just hold them there as an investment or they'll just Airbnb them for short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. So long-term renters get pushed out of the market. So some people argue that there's not enough supply and we need to just like build, 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 build. Other people say we do need to build, but there is actually substantive supply that is being held as speculative investments or just as Airbnbs, like short-term rentals. So you need to have like a multifaceted approach. And I mean, on a kind of practical level, this is just playing out in that everyone I know's rent is getting fucking massively increased and it's really expensive mm-hmm. to live in Melbourne at the moment. Mm-hmm. What do you think, like, a normal amount of rent that people should be paying is? Less than 30% of your income. Yeah. yeah. And what is that? What is, like, a median income? Because well, my- it's, like, there's so, it's like, what is, like, a normal amount I, of rent I to have pay? a full-time wage and splitting my share house with two other people, I still spend more than 30% of my income on my rent and that's before the rise. And I live with, like, a student who is in a way worse position than me. My feeling? Yeah. <laughs> my feeling is that people living in share houses shouldn't pay more than $200 a week but is that just an arbitrary it's an number? arbitrary amount yeah but I do remember like when I first moved here in 2016 I was like wow if I ever paid 200 a week for my rent I would, I would need to live in Collingwood with an ensuite bathroom <laughs> <laughs> not in St Kilda on top of a bottle shop <laughs> I think there's like two things here there's like okay for me there's two interesting things about this there's like One is, like, how do they actually fix this problem, which I think is very complex. And two is, like, the tenor of the political debate Mm. between Labor and the Greens, which I think is, like, genuinely interesting because it's kind of this ideological rift and I feel kind of torn between the red and the green. The red and the green. Well, so the Greens were, like, famously the neoliberal party that no one ever asked for. We usually don't expect them to come critiquing neoliberalism. So it's kind of strange to see this thing playing out and you're like why is this happening in the way it is and there is a lot of cynicism coming from within the Labor Party being like the Greens are just speaking to their voters but it really got me thinking in general with the way the two-party system's been going for a long time in Australia voting bases are kind of divided between um, like the capos the Labor heads and the greenies. Yeah. And and the greenies are capos. Yes. <laughs> but now they're also pinkos. <laughs> they're like green but pink at the same time. <laughs> Which so, I'm, I would say I'm black pink. <laughs> yeah. The thing that is kind of intriguing about what's happening is that contrary to most of like the past few generations in Australia, depending which social sector you get sucked into, there's the period that people would rent in depending on your class, was usually protracted. And now we're entering a new period where 30% of the population are renting and statistics point to the idea that 
this these people will rent indefinitely. And mm-hmm. I think it's kind of an exciting turning point in Australian politics because if there is a 30% proportion of the Australian population with similar material uh, forces playing onto them, I think that creates a new voting block. And I actually think that this will become a really significant kind of group who are currently getting this like kind of class consciousness that I haven't seen in Australia in a long time. <laughs> Since I can remember anyway. <laughs> Since I immigrated. It's true. As a yeah, but well, that's why, I mean, uh, as I read this morning in the Australian Financial Review over my coffee, <laughs> apparently there's these new stats that are coming out um, that younger voters, because traditionally people would be poverty radicals in their youth and then slowly mature into being conservative Uh, investors or whatever and go from being a greenie or a communist to being maybe a labor and then end up as a lib unless you have structural factors that mean that that you'll never get to do that trajectory but yeah yes there's always exceptions and fringe weirdos but now that is not the case people are just staying green or staying labor or Mm -hmm. they're just not shifting to the right um and i think that's why this is such a like tense and dramatic issue and I guess I'm interested in it too because there's like sensibility politics at play because I think I politically like agree with the Greens and they're probably not even left enough. Like when I see yeah. the the solutions that they're proposing to this, I'm like, this doesn't even this seems their lo- solutions this seems, are incredibly short term. Like a, a rent are, freeze doesn't do anything. Yeah, and their their solutions seem like piddly and annoying. That's why they are such an annoying party because it's like they offer these like rad things and they're like, well, it actually worked in Sweden. And you're like, you're so fucking annoying. You're just like the most annoying guy that I met in a shoot. Mm-hmm. Like, and the the labor guys, I'm like, politically, if I really thought about this, you probably are just this kind of like austerity class government that's doing nothing but I feel some more like affinity with them because they do to me give me the impression that they're gonna get stuff done quote unquote there's no, some they, there's I think 600,000 people waiting for public housing it's in Australia and in the next five years of this multi-billion dollar plan they're gonna build 60,000 houses yeah, so by the time nothing. it's done there's gonna be more people on the list than there were initially there's this proposal for the rent cap state by state but it just it's always seems like the things that the green the greens offer and prefer are just they do seem righteous and not realistic like something about when they say it i'm just like i just don't believe you or something that's why you gotta vote vic socialist yeah right they actually do good policy Um, no the one policy that i actually got turned on to in the last few days of research that i think is interesting to look into is an idea that some economists have that superannuation funds which are really long-term institutions in Australia and don't have such private um, speculation incentives should be spending their um, revenue investing in low-cost housing for Mm. people I actually really rate that idea I also rate the um, forced subsidized housing as part of new developments because that's what I when I actually did speak to the big socialist people from Yarra Council about something else they were like we want to um, force new developments to have like 20% or whatever, 20% apartments that are people for people to live in that are heavily subsidised. Yeah, the difficulty is though when you go into like a mixed, um, a mixed, I'll call it like a mixed methods program because I don't have the words on me now, but it ends up being a really easy way to sell off uh, public land under the guise of progressivism. So Dan Andrews' big build policy, which was like, 
billions of dollars to build social housing, which mm. implies some kind of mix between public housing and private low-cost housing, involves selling off public land so developers can build these massive properties that stay empty. It reduces the amount of public and land that's owned by the public and it kicks people in public housing out of their houses. But that's only if you're selling the land that the public housing is on. I also think the other reason why I find it complex and hard to un- like kind of get wrap my head around is like, Obviously, there's like people in our context that are like renting in inner city share houses and they're going to have to figure out if they want to keep living in Melbourne or not in the Bonsoi belt or whatever. But I'm like, that's like, that's like no an extreme minority. That's an extreme minority of people. Like what are normal people that aren't like in our fucked up demographic actually want? <laughs> well, Anglicare does an annual review of... Um, the private rental market and goes on realestate.com for two weeks and looks at how many properties people in particular economic circumstances could afford, mainly each of the categories of people who can get the doll. Mm. And with this, this year was the worst year ever. Within the period that they looked at across the whole of Australia, there were a grand total of four properties that families in that income bracket would afford to rent. It's totally grim. And I feel like my mentality, make, it makes me feel depressed. And when I read, when I read Guy Rundle, I'm like, that guy, he speaks to something that I feel like when I read him, I'm like, probably he has the same annoying, like shooting from the hip righteousness in a different flavor to the greens. But when I read him, I'm like, oh, this long-term analysis that he gives of how neoliberalism has like hollowed out the social state ideologically siphoned our brain cells out such that we actually cannot envision what like collectivism or like radical change looks like. Like, I think that's true. Like I find it hard to even ambitiously have the belief that we can massively structurally change these things. That argument he has is what the Greens are arguing. The Greens are arguing that yeah, by but when labor, they do it, it's labor, so annoying. By, <laughs> by Labor passing the half through as it is, they set the benchmark for what civil society can debate about yeah. by being like, well, this is what the supply is and this is all that's possible. Whereas what Rundle and the Greens are saying is actually we can radically redefine what our opportunities are in society. It's true when they say that, but it just feels like they don't want to like negotiate. It feels like they just figured out what negotiation is and then when they get a gift and they get a win, they don't know how to graciously accept it and then just like move on to the next thing. That's Mm. why it's annoying because it's like this half housing is futures fund or whatever it's clearly fucking stupid and terrible but they did do this negotiation and they got this two billion dollar concession but then instead of just accepting it and moving it on they have this affect of gleefulness that's just so off-putting um what do you think about this roast that albanese did of the greens at the midwinter bowl then we should wrap it up he <laughs> he said um he said after all, there are so many greens. I made it through 12 surnames before I realized they belong to just six people. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's pretty funny. Well, if we're if we're taking a if we're taking a, a dig at progress, progressives by name only and using case studies referring to the Swedish, I'll just pass on some knowledge I got about the Swedish <laughs> lately. What did they have? A Swedish woman named Johanna has broken my brother's heart. She lives in an intentional community mm. and is in love with her neighbor Gustav. This and is where my we're going to end up for. <laughs> and I'm this just is what like, the Greens want. Yeah, dude. this is what the fucking Greens want. <laughs> and it's not where I wanted my brother to end Your up. Your cappuccinos cost $12 there. 
It's crazy, man. <laughs> down with Sweden, down with Johanna, up with imagining more expansive futures, including a future with myself and Lily Rose Depp. Yeah. Love it. See All you right. next time. Bye. <laughs> There are no wasted efforts in nature. The fragrance of a flower, the smell of an orange, or the scent of a pine tree all serve specific purposes vital to the plant's survival. These compounds help ward off unfriendly pests, attract friendly herbivores and insects, and even help the plant heal from physical infection and injury. Now. For the first time, Bloterra is proud to introduce the non-essential oil derived from the darkest recesses of human society. Non-essential oils activate new parts of the human psyche never previously imagined in nature. From the distilled nutty aroma of a silicon menstrual cup melted on the sofa top to the surprisingly warm mouthfeel of a cup of Coca-Cola spilled on a car floor and left to steep over the summer, our non-essential oils will have you gasping for fresh air and new neural pathways. There are no wasted efforts in nature. In the Bloterra lab, we bring nature together with the smell of human ingenuity. We call it waste.